the advantage of a startup is you can move fast and you can actually make mistakes without it being like a, like a big issue. You should just ABL, always be launching. Everything is a launch. Now, granted, there are always some exceptions, but the idea is that every week you should have a launch. You can go to my, my Twitter account and you can kind of browse through, you know, some of the, the past tweets of things that I'm basically announcing small features as a launch. And so you, you should be shipping fast and then trying to turn anything that is of some amount of significance to whatever size audience you have into, into a launch. The thing that I've seen be effective in, in, in kind of like that cold outreach is just being super targeted and directed around like what you actually want someone to try out and trying to give as much information up front, but in like a concise and understandable way. So you can kind of get that hook. People see these big launches, they see these like viral things and product hunt, you know, whatever number ones. And they assume like, that's how you do it. If, if you're, you know, a developer or whatever, you're launching something like, oh, okay, I got to put on my marketing hat now. I got to go, you know, do that thing that I hate. And, and that's like a lot of the anxiety that comes, you know, into launching. And the, the good news is that for most people just shouldn't do that. Hey everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of the Backdrop Podcast, a show focused on helping builders figure out how to bring new things to life in frontier tech. This conversation was recorded as part of Backdrop Build V2, a four-week program supporting people launching something new in crypto and AI. Simply put, Jesse, Dan, and Rick are next-level builders, and this is a conversation that I'd put up there with any for how to find traction for something new. There are some timeless insights, like how specifically to find people that are going to love what you're doing and improve the quality and speed of your iterations. But there are also more meta-thoughts about how to think about opportunities more holistically, given the way these markets are changing and the traps to avoid. It is no wonder that all three of these builders have found such rare traction in otherwise noisy and challenging landscapes in crypto and AI. So hope you enjoy. So welcome to another Fireside from Backdrop Build. Yeah, we are here with three amazing builders. For anyone who's joining who's not part of the program, um, Backdrop Build is yeah a program, a four-week program where we help people ship new projects at the frontier. We're on V2 now, and we have about, I think, 350 projects that are gearing up for a launch in two weeks. So I think we're, you know, that's the purpose of this jam today is finding early traction uh, for, for new stuff. And without you know further ado, I think let's just do a bit of around the horn here. And um, Rick, Jesse, Dan, maybe just kind of introduce yourself briefly and, um, and what you're building. So uh, Rick, I think you were here first, so you do the honors, kick us off. Sweet. I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, so everyone, I'm Rick. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Guru. Guru basically makes it easy for developers to build apps that analyze video using AI. Um, so applications like that are like measuring your vertical jump if you're like a basketball coach, all the way to like measuring if, if you have a stroke um, in a hospital or, or something like that. Um, before that, I worked at Amazon, most of Alexa, but also some AWS services. And I was also at a logistics startup. Um, and yes, I'm in, in the Discord a little bit and excited to see what you guys are building some really cool LM projects in the works I saw. Sweet. Thanks, Rick. Maybe Jesse, I'll kick it to you. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse. I'm the creator of Base. Uh, I've been working on that for the last two years. We just launched in August. I'm super excited to see how many people here are building on chain uh, and around the world are building on chain. Um, yeah, excited to be here. Thanks. All right, Dan, you're last. Cool. Uh, Dan Romero, I used to work with Jesse at Coinbase, and then I've been working on Farcaster with my co-founder, Varun, for the last three years. 
maybe give people a, a one quick, you know, if they have don't know Farcaster, what it is it? Farcaster is a decentralized social network um, built on Ethereum. Very cool. Um, all right. So yeah, I thought I'd maybe start us off with, I think if I was doing my math correctly, probably between the the four of us, we have like, you know, over half a century of launching new things. Some of them have worked, some of them have probably not. Um, so, you know, we're, I think we have a couple hundred people that are gearing up for a launch day. I think, you know, the words launch day obviously mean mean a lot to to builders. So maybe I just thought I'd start it off with like a fun launch day story from you could be something that you launched that went spectacularly bad. I think we probably all have some of those or some, you know, big snafu or, or maybe just something that you, you know, did in a, in a launch day that worked way better than you thought it would. Um, so any, any story uh, that, that you have from a launch day that, that feels resonant and if anyone has something, you know, please jump in. I guess I can go first again. Um, the worst launch day experience I had was actually my when I was an intern at Amazon and um, I was interning in VC2 uh, networking. Spent like a couple of months working on some feature and, you know, I launched it and like immediately uh, like 10% of all traffic to like one of the EC2 data centers just like dropped off and it's very clearly my push that was responsible for it. Um, I thought for sure they were going to fire me or like not give me, uh, not, like not give me back a, Turn offer, but actually, like it turned out that like I exposed some cool things and uh, some school, like you know, some cool bugs and some other services. Um, but yeah, so that's like my most memorable launch day experience. Um, yeah, in general, uh, what I've kind of found is that like now I, you know, with Guru, um, we always kind of like built up um, two launch days and I got because like in the first couple hours, like I wasn't getting like 10,000 users or something like that. And now that it's kind of like a pretty continuous, like incremental launch is kind of a go. And like, actually, like now when we have an event that kind of, um, you know, um, spikes are, are like traffic kind of freaks me out a little bit because I know it's, um, you know, I'm, I just don't know what's real and what's not real. Uh, so I guess like my, my take, uh, and, and like, I like, like now we kind of try to do more with like SEO and stuff like that. And we find that more sustainable. So I guess my story is like, um, it's kind of an emotional roller coaster, but it takes a lot to see what's real and real. I can go, um, and I, I, maybe this is just recent memory for me, but um, you know, we we we've, we've been in the process of launching base, uh, and in August we had a whole kind of like meticulously crafted launch plan where it was like we're going to do this on this day, and you know, here's how people are going to start using the network, and then uh, about like six days before our first kind of milestone we saw the launch of like some meme coins on base, including bald uh, and a ton of people just start using base when we were not prepared for it or ready for it. And, um, you know, there was a lot of good parts about that. There were a lot of really stressful parts about that as well. But I think one of the big lessons for me from that was, um, you know, crypto is, is decentralized and kind of uncontrollable and you can lay the best plan, but oftentimes those plans will kind of go to shit. And people will use the open permissionless nature of these systems to do things that you can't anticipate. And the best thing to do is just roll with the punches um, and kind of like figure out how to like learn and adapt with whatever's changed and um, uh, make the most of it. And so I think that that has kind of ended up being a really positive part of our story over the last um, few months. But uh, it didn't feel that way at the beginning because a lot of changes were happening and we, we weren't quite ready for them. So, yeah, that was one that was very top of mind for me recently. I'll give you a bad launch and a good launch. Uh, the bad launch, 
was when Coinbase allowed for Bitcoin cash withdrawals in late 2017. Got accused of insider trading. There were kind of federal and state uh, regulators reaching out the next morning. And I think a couple of lessons from that. So one, I think we operated from the moment um, in terms of emotion rather than having actually tried to game out how, how things could play out, like what's the worst possible thing that could happen. And this is a little less applicable to um, an early stage startup because you're not going to be under the spotlight. But I, but I think it's the broader lesson is um, as things get more significant, it, the planning should kind of uh, be commiserate with uh, in terms of like how, how you approach things. Um, and so I think Coinbase at this point is actually extremely good about thinking through the kind of downsides that can happen with a launch and, and, and kind of how to optimize for it. And then I think on the kind of positive side of things, and, and this is something that we've adopted with Farcaster, is, is a bit of like an anti-launch strategy in that you should just ABL, always be launching. Everything is a launch. Like, so you should, you, you should be moving at the speed. The advantage of a startup is you can move fast and you can actually make mistakes without it being like a, like a big issue. Now, granted, there are always some exceptions, but the idea is that every week you should have a launch. And, and um, I think you can go to my, my Twitter account and you can kind of browse through, you know, some of the, the past tweets of things that I'm basically announcing small features as a launch. And so you, you should be shipping fast and then trying to turn anything that is of some amount of significance to whatever size audience you have into, into a launch. And I think it, it, it's good because it actually teaches you um, back to kind of something Rick was mentioning is when you put all your eggs in one basket around a launch, it's actually very hard to understand if those, uh, the signal from that, right? Because you're going to naturally generate a lot of interest, especially if you use press. And then the numbers are all going to come back down. Whereas if you're, you're consistently launching, you're actually kind of bringing people back into your app. They, they might see it, the third launch, and then come back to your app and check it out. And you've made a lot of progress. So I, I think that's something that we've done it with Farcaster. And, and I would recommend to any early stage founder is don't overthink your launch, just like launch and then keep launching things. And I'll, I'll just give a big plus one to Dan and team doing that really well at Farcaster. There's actually been a bunch of things where you know, Dan and team have been coordinating with us on things. They're like, oh, we're just going to launch this like on Thursday of next week. And we're like, oh, let's do it. And I think having like, you know, bases, uh, you know, incubating outside of Coinbase and we're like a startup, but there's still parts of it that are coming from the kind of the big company culture and getting to kind of like collaborate and work with Dan and team has been a real reminder for me kind of constantly of like, okay, just like put it aside. Like, let's just ship some cool stuff, um, make it happen. Yeah, I, I would just say with Jesse, you know, you can tell Jesse was a startup founder, both within Coinbase, but also prior is, you know, I was working with some, them on something that we're potentially doing in the future, near future. And I got an answer that was like two weeks away. And I was like, no, no, like we're, we're thinking like three days from now. And just was like, I'm on it. And, and it was able to kind of rotate the team into kind of that, that urgency mindset. And I think if you look, Paul Graham, Sam Altman, Peter Thiel, a very consistent theme that you hear from all of them is great. You, you want to accomplish this like in the future, it's like, what can you do to pull that up? And like, it's, it's that urgency and that sense of like, no, 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 like don't wait two weeks to do a big launch, like launch now and then keep launching. Yeah, no, I think it's great. You guys are touching on a point that I actually thought we could really dig into, which is, um, you know, I think what we think is really cool is the kind of stuff that we see people build in four weeks. I mean, at this point, it's insane. Like, you know, they, so I mean, with, with, with that, it's like, you know, the ability to be launching iteratively is, is also just, you know, increasing. And so I, I think people often talk about, oh, first time founders care about products, second time founders care about distribution. 
And I wonder if there's even like, you know, a third time founder or like the next iteration of that, which is like the system that you are launching new products in, not like distribution for this very particular version of the product, but more like your ability to launch things over and over and, and have like get feedback, be able to see whether it's going to work or not, kill it, you know, do the next thing. I think obviously, you know, Dan, like you all have a pretty incredible setup for that. You have a feedback machine, you know, from people using the product, you have a great team that can ship. And so you just have that like engine running really fast. Um, one thing that we talked about, we, we had um, Will Papper and, and Michael Dempsey were on last week and they got into a pretty, you know, heated and good conversation about like launching within like a Farcaster type community. Um, and so I think the, the question is like, um, when is the right time to be launching something where the goal is not necessarily for that to be the ultimate thing, but you're doing it because, you know, it's going to help you build momentum to the next thing. So you might look at a, some of these products, like, you know, clients that are launching on Farcaster. For those who are not familiar, like there's a, an amazing kind of ecosystem of clients that are being built on Farcaster at this point. And some of the people might, oh, this is what's the like, what's the long term, you know, VC scale, you know, thing that's being built here. Maybe that's like not really the right way to think about it because, you know, the, the benefit of launching in a community like that or base as well. It's like if you catch that momentum, you ride that wave, you know, your ability to ship iterations really quickly is just way, way higher than if you are going out there and like starting something from from scratch. So I guess. Yeah, maybe Dan or, or, or Jesse and Rick as well. Like you guys are all building kind of platforms for people to build on top of. Like, you know, how, how do you think about like which builders should be really thinking about kind of launching into an existing ecosystem? Um, or, or like what advice do you give people around that? Yeah, so I would say it depends what you're building. If you're building consumer versus, uh, you know, B2B enterprise, very different strategies. So consumer, um, that's harder in, in terms of the early launch in that, you're you're trying to uncover an untapped or unsatisfied behavior for someone and people can't actually really even tell you that like they can they can aspirationally tell you that they want to use the product but the reality is that they might download it to be nice and then not use it so that is actually a kind of constant discovery problem and the fastest way to get there is just contact with reality which means launch soon and fast and iterate and talk to users and the, the weird 10 people that for whatever reason your product resonates with, put them in a Telegram group or WhatsApp group and or checking in with them on a regular basis, building features for them, figuring out what the commonality between that small cohort. And then if you can get 10 people, it's like, okay, how, how do I go from 10 to 100? And, and, and you just kind of like slog your way up until you get to some amount of scale. And then at certain amount of scale, call it 100 or 1000 people who are really actively using your product, you're probably going to have a sense for like what what underlying need is this is this satisfying but like consumer is absolutely just like pure like beg borrow and steal to find those users and there's no one way I, I think a lot of what happens is you get this survivorship bias when you hear about these massive successes and everyone thinks that that's how they have to get there and i think that the world is a lot um more fuzzy and blurry in that like uh yeah it's easy for them to come up with a narrative afterward when they hit this like crazy viral growth but those early days, you know, Instagram is a great example of this. They had a completely failed early app they slogged around called Bourbon for a while. And then they simplified their app down to the thing that people were actually using, the, the photo filters, and with a little bit of location. Like people forget that Instagram was actually originally like kind of inspired by Foursquare. And like the location was an actual important thing. And it's like, now you think of Instagram and in, in what it is today. But there was a lot of uncertainty in those early days and, and that, that kind of reformation of the app around the core behavior that those early users 
that that was a result of them trial and error with a bunch of early users. And then I think on enterprise with Farcaster is, is, is a great example. You have all these other people who are actively building and it's an easy place to start networking with them in an async way, right? You don't have to go to a crypto conference. You can be kind of interacting with other builders who then you might start just, you know, DM with. And then at a certain point, it's like, hey, I'm building this, this like, you know, enterprise tool. Would this be interesting or helpful to you? And, and, and now you already have a little bit of a social connection with that person. You're going to actually be able to strike up a conversation. And they might just say, hey, no, I'm not. Versus I think the, the fail case that I think a lot of builders is they, they head down, build, 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 build. And then they show up and they launch. And it's kind of this like, hey, I'm going to broadcast out to you. And if no one signs up for me, I'm mad at everyone else. But you, you haven't put any work in in terms of like actually building relationships with those kind of early users or early customers. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like Dan's really echoing like how exactly what I was thinking. Um, I mean, you know, I see like Dominic has a question in the chat, but like, you know, it's hard to get a launch going in four weeks with SEO social media. Like, and I definitely think like SEO is probably like mistake at this stage. Um, I think like um, I think it's much more of a bullish signal that you're onto something if you get like literally two, three, four, five people really loving your product. And I, 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 like out of the gate, like really like, you know, using it despite all the rough edges, there needs to be like a thousand or whatever signups on your wait list. Um, that would like, that's me, like, that's kind of my change now perspective is like, to me, that is a successful launch. Um, is if it's, is if, if, you know, if you, like, a few people actually like it and are actually getting things done and then you'll, you'll like, you'll hear from them. Uh, yeah, and like, like Dan said, like we kind of hear like before I built my own startup, you know, I would only, like you only hear about the exception cases of like the chat GPTs that go to hundred million in three months or whatever, but most successful products, you know, start with them, I think, like, small group from what I've seen. And then the cool thing about when it's, when it's a small group, you actually can use the lack of scale to your advantage. Like, for example, like, one thing we do, let me, so let me share my screen. Like, we've opened up, like, a new product, and we keep it really small right now. And I'm literally, like, lack of events for everything that happens in it. And it keeps me, like, really close to, like, the pulse of, like, everything the users are doing. Um, like, literally, like, like, I see everybody they click, and I'm, like, very curious like, if they get to where they want, where I think they would go to. And obviously that doesn't scale, but um, I think that's actually kind of an advantage of um, a smaller launch as opposed to, you know, getting inundated with Acronews, um DDoS attacks. So. Yeah, I mean, we spent, we did a, this is good timing. We did a workshop this week on like finding, you know, how do you find and reach out to your very, very initial core target users? Like the, yeah, the two to five people that are going to be obsessed, you know, with your product. And I think, um, yeah, any like, it sounds like Dan, like one good tactic is find those people, get them into a Telegram chat, like kind of shorten the distance between you and them. Um, you know, Rick, I guess like another good idea if you have that scale is like, be just incredibly aware of of like how they're using the product and maybe like even track those things a little bit differently. Like any other just things that you like to do or thing you've seen do, people do well when you're at that stage of like small little fire of people that, you know, are really loving what you're doing. I think one thing that I've seen be um, effective, just like, because a lot of people reach out and say, hey, like I'm building this thing on base and like, can you check it out or can you try it out? And the thing that I've seen be effective in, in, in kind of like that cold outreach is just being super targeted and directed around like what you actually want someone to try out and trying to give as much information up front, but in like a concise and understandable way. So you can kind of get that hook. And so thinking about like, can you record like a minute long little video that's Loom where it's like, hey, I did this, like 
here's how to use this thing. We try it out. Or like, here's the two bullet points of the problem I think you have and the, the way that I think this thing would, would solve it for you. I think that that kind of like doing the work for someone else to help them see, oh, I should give this thing a try. I think it's really important. Because if you're just like, hey, will you check out my idea or give me feedback on my idea? Or like, it's just not enough. Like most people have way too many things going on in their life be able to like meaningfully engage with that um in a in like a substantive way super strong plus one i actually think cold outreach regardless of whether that's for a job whether that's for an investor whether that's for early customers and users is this just totally underrated skill set and it's not that hard it's write the thing in the simplest shortest possible way that can get the person's attention and and respects their time and what I get, and, and part of this is I think people just don't realize, but you, you get a lot of what I think are just lazy, these huge wall of text, which obviously people put time into, but like, it's the Mark Twain thing is like, if I, if I'd had more time, I would have written a, like, you know, like a shorter letter or something like the, the idea that to write something that's succinct. And by the way, ChatGPT can definitely help you with this is, is you kind of want that one sentence, the three bullet points that are very short. And then to Jesse's point, if you're going to go spend the time on, on something like that, do a one minute loom video, even better, 59 seconds. It's like the 999. It's, it's if I can see that, oh, I can spend 59 seconds and I can get an overview from someone on whatever they're trying to show me. And there's an actual tangible thing. That, and, and even if it's like a, an Excaladraw or something that's like a mock-up, like that makes it a lot more real than here's a bunch of text. I'm expecting you to read it, parse it, and then potentially come back with feedback. It's most likely I'm going to ignore or polite decline or, or things like that. And I think the same thing applies to users. And so I, I like from a tactical standpoint, getting people in telegram groups, really powerful uh, or, or WhatsApp or signal or whatever the, the right one for you. Um, I think DMS on Twitter, a lot of people have DMS open again, you want to be really, really targeted. Um, don't even waste time with like the, Hey, like it, it's like, think about that one message that's going to catch their attention in, in the, uh, you know, kind of their inbox of, of DMS and, and things like that. And it's like, that is what you actually really want to be hyper-focused on rather than kind of like this like broad brush launch strategy that yeah you can send the TechCrunch article or the coindesk article to your mom but like the reality is most people don't pay attention to that versus i would say if you can get 10 really well-crafted cold dms or, or outreach to people infinitely more valuable for an early stage launch yeah one thing i'll say is like if you do what dan, what dan just said around being concise i think you'd be shocked at the number of like people who would give you the time of day, including people who are incredibly busy. It's just like, if you can actually get it down to the like three bullet points, one sentence, you'll be able to get attention. It's just like, it's a function of, are you efficiently using the other people's time by being focused, specific, um, really clear? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you people you probably get a ton of DMs that are, you know, here in this call. And it's true, like, you probably read them, right? If they're concise. So it's if people have an amazing hook, if they if they, if they think that you're like the perfect target user for what they're building, they write something concise, you're reading that. So it's also like if you're sending enough of those messages and it's small and concise and you're not getting, you know, any response, it's it's not because like, you know, cold DMing doesn't work. It's probably because yeah, you, you need to just iterate on like the pitch a little bit or you need to find a better hook or, or the the like target person is is not quite right. And it's funny, like I think one of the things that I, you know, Dan, you mentioned survivor bias. I think there's like visibility bias. I don't know what the right word is, but it's also huge, which is that people see these big launches. They see these like viral things and product hunt, you know, whatever number ones. 
and they assume like that's how you do it if, if you're you know a developer or whatever you're launching something like oh, okay i gotta put on my marketing hat now i gotta go you know do that thing that i hate and and that's like a lot of the anxiety that comes you know into launching and the the good news is that for most people just shouldn't do that like most people should just act like a human and go talk to people and it's really not that scary so that, that's kind of i think a lot of what we see is even in a program like this people come in and be like oh i'm just really mortified about the launch moment we're like yeah don't worry like we're, we're not here you know conducting or creating product hunt videos that are going to go viral that's you know, the right fit for some people, but I think for the vast majority, um, it, it's not. Yeah, 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 I would just also say the, the product hunt video, like product hunt is a game. It's it's not actual real life. Like I, I very few startups as a result of like going viral on product hunt ended up becoming successful. Like you're, you're so much better off finding the untapped group of whether that's 10 people or a few early customers and building with them in a very iterative way than the, I'm going to launch I think part of this is media, right? Like everyone, everyone thinks of like the startup launches, you press the button and then you go viral and then you're successful. And that sounds exciting, but that's not reality. Um, and yeah, you might have a traffic bump, but like the, the intentionality of those users is going to be so much lower. And versus if you actually spend the time really trying to hunt for those initial 10 people, um, I think it's going to be much more fruitful. You're going to get a lot of no's, by the way. Like you have to, like as a startup founder, you just literally have to be okay with everyone telling you no potential employees, customers, investors, like it just that, that if fear of rejection is a thing that you have, you either need to get over it or like building building something public is, is not not probably well suited or, or find a co founder who's happy to take on the role of just literal nose all the time. Totally. Um, I was saying, uh, I saw Andrew and she's messing in and, uh, and cookies message. Yeah. Like I'm just repeating what uh, Dan and Justin were saying. Um, but I think like, one big unlock fundamentally, um, is that I used to have this idea that your early customers, like they don't count unless they're like hard to, you know, um, it doesn't count if it's like someone that work or a friend, if you're a building consumer. Um, and now I like, uh, actually it was like a Michael Siebel talk where she was, where he was like, it's like, you know, like you should go after early customers. I'm sorry. Like your early customers should be your easy customers to get. Like that just, you know, makes sense. Um, and it's one of those like obvious things in retrospect. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think like you might start getting, Questions like Joy, uh, you mentioned this in the initial question of like, um, the, like what is scalable to a VC, uh, and all that. I don't know. I think early on, probably if you're if if it's VC advice, it's probably wrong. Um, like direction, like directionally wrong is probably like what if they get to you. I mean, it's kind of like asking like a model for you know for dating advice. They're only seeing it after you kind of like get through the filter and like all the companies that they work with have already kind of got into that filter. But early on, like I think it's totally fine to. to um so to the easiest people to sell to so like eddie mentioned like i'm building something for myself any tips on how to find others with the same problem um if you're building it for yourself i'm guessing you know people like yourself uh and if it's a consumer app that's where i would start um that's about it. that's the first thing we did we first built out the weightlifting that's what we were, that's what we were into and then we got a first batch to use it just from the weightlifting reddits that we used to um go to ourselves and we just kind of mined that just from the reddit Sorry. <laughs> yeah, totally. Reddits are often gold for these kind of initial moments. Um, I, maybe I can change gears a little bit because um, I, I wanted to, I, I think, ask about, you know, like relaunching things or, or launching products that are familiar to people. I think, Jesse and, and Dan, this is especially for, for you. I said one of the things that we see, or I see a lot, is people launching products that are cool 
but just like people don't even really have a concept for them. Like, they, you know, and I think there's nothing that for sure sometimes makes sense. Um, but but it, you're putting yourself in, into a definitely a different kind of situation if people just have no existing behavior, no expectation. I mean, there's maybe like there's the iPhone, right? Like there's these products that come along that totally change people's behavior. But by and large, that's maybe not the the typical. And I think, you know, one thing that people said about base when it launched and said about Farcaster is like, oh, Farcast looks a lot like Twitter. Like, well, it's just another. And it's like the the devil's in the details, right? It, it's it's meaningfully different. And over time has gotten a, a lot more kind of, you know, differentiated and Obviously, the vision is very different. Same with base. Like, it's like, oh, it's a, it's an optimism, like, you know, roll up chain, like, oh, just another L2. I, and I think, you know, if we look at like what's happened since then, couldn't be farther from like the, well, it, it's been a success case, I think, in, in both in both cases. So maybe can you just talk a little bit about like, yeah, what should and when should people be trying to like, you know, relaunch existing products and, and how to think about creating something that is, you know, familiar to, to people, but like, you know, you know, subtly different, if, if that makes sense. I think like the, the way I think about base is that um, there's a lot of technology similarities, but um, from a like way the protocol is built and the combination of things that come together, um, you actually have a pretty different product. And so I think that's the way I would think about it is like there's a bunch of different ways you can differentiate the product that you're building. And one of them is on the pure kind of technology angle. Um, but then you can also think about how do you dis- differentiate through distribution. I think this is one of the things that Base has been really working to is like, how do we connect up and, and bring real people on chain so they can actually use the products that are being built on Base? You can, you can differentiate through brand. Um, uh, and I think that this is another place that Base has been really like leaning in of like, how do we build a brand that kind of brings everyone on, on chain and um, uh, builds on this kind of platform of brand that, that Coinbase had created over the last decade, decade and a half. Um, you can also differentiate on on community and another place that base I think has really been standing out. It's like there's a whole culture of people who are now building on base and feel like this is the place that they want to be building. Um, and so I'd say for me, like thinking about the whole aspect or the whole range of different ways you can make your product be something that people want to engage with and use um, rather than just saying, oh, we need to build the best X. And that's the only way this can work. It's probably something to be to be thinking about. Yeah, I I think um again it goes back to consumer versus um you know if you're enterprise or dev tools or whatever is so let's let's start last time I started with consumer with the enterprise side of things like doesn't matter if you're solving a problem like when when a business tells you that they are having a problem they they actually if, if you build the tool to solve the problem 9 out of 10 times assuming you're actually doing that they're most likely going to use the tool like you have to do a little bit of qualification there and, and you know, the, the bigger the startup or company, the more likely they are going to use it, but the sales cycle is a little lower, but generally like their, the reveal preference when they state what their issue is, is that they will use your tool. Consumers are completely different and that they actually don't want to tell you something. It, it, every People naturally want to tell you what you want to hear. So you tell them, a, you, hey, I'm working on this idea. What do you think about it? And they're like, oh, that sounds cool. And like, cause they don't like, they, they don't want to insult you or very few people are like, oh, that sounds dumb. And, and so as a result, when people tell you, cool, you, you kind of take that as an indication. It's like, oh, I want to go do that. And then you go launch it and then they don't necessarily use it. The reveal preference is like, this isn't scratching an itch. And so where I think building products that look like other products, at least at the early stage, you actually reduce the cognitive load of like learning something new. It's like, oh, this feels pretty similar. Like, oh, this feels like Twitter. I know where the buttons are and I can click around. 
And then you can layer in that one or two kind of like interesting new novel things that you're trying to do. And, and it makes it easier for the person to grok. But I think like in the case of like when you're building a kind of like Twitter clone early on, the fundamental issue is, is like what people actually use Twitter for is not the buttons. They use it for the people and the content. So if you don't actually have the people in the content, that that's your fundamental problem. So understanding like um, where the, the pain point is in terms of like if you're building a social app, like you actually need to get people using it before you can worry about like what, what you need to do from a product uh, side of things. And I think that in of itself is is very much art, not science. Um, and it goes back to this, like find 10 people. Basically, you're trying to build a group chat to start. And if like you can scale a group chat, like that's probably the right right way to do it. Um, other types of consumer apps, uh, you know, something that like you're doing a little less frequently, maybe you're doing it once a month or once once a year. I think that is a different skill set. But the problem for an early stage company is uh, you just don't have the frequency of interaction. And so I, I don't actually have any experience with Right. So it's like I, I, I don't even know how I'd go build an Airbnb in, the, in in 2023 in the sense that if you think about Airbnb, maybe use it even as an active user two or three times. a year. So so like a lot of the, the customers you're trying to get are, are going to be your first time using it. They might not use it for a while. So honest answer is like that kind of feedback loop is really, really challenging. So if, if you're focused on something in consumer and you have a little bit more of a daily or weekly use case, like that is going to give you the the feedback you need to kind of like iterate and get the product. And I mean, maybe like this is a good time to ask is, is building, do you think building in a frontier technology actually really fundamentally different from just building good products period? And I think like one of the things that people are like, Oh, you know, it's, it's a crypto bear market or it's a crypto bull market or it's, it's AI or it's really hot right now. And like there, there are clearly differences. And I guess I'm curious, like what you think they are, but because most of what we talk about and what we've talked about so far, I think you could 100% abstract from basically any like technology vertical. It's like, yeah, build something people need, go find your, you know, the 10 people that love it, iterate and grow from there. Like, you know, this is kind of how to build products, you know, 101 type stuff. So do you think people are like, it, you go on Twitter and, and you it's a lot of like thought leadership about the precise moment that we're in and crypto, AI, whatever, like the world at large. Do, do you think builders should be paying like attention to that. Is there really anything about this that changes like, you know, and I guess like you've been through some cycles yourselves. So, you know, yeah. how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think Carl kind of nailed it. I mean, that's um, the earlier question I was going to say was just like, I would just kind of ignore everyone who thinks that uh, you're similar to other product. If, if you see a gap in the market and your customers do like, the casual person isn't been there for a long time and just kind of have to then have the grit to be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like we had the same as that. And then like eventually like I'm clear. I think the where this kind of present like what's different about frontier. I think what's different about frontier products is I think when you're in like when you're building in an incumbent space, you constantly get the question of like, isn't this the same as Twitter? Isn't this the same as open ads and like that, right? Um and then the uh, and like you probably have that question yourself a lot too uh, internally, and then in the frontier space, it's the inverse where it's like the real question is like, is this ever going to take off? Like, is this market ever going to grow? Because you're like you're kind of like betting on like setting up your house and then in spot and like you expect the island to like you know triple the value the next year or so, um, which is like what Carl was saying. Uh, and I kind of look on both sides of that. It, they both kind of suck and are good in, in different ways. Um, so, yeah, but, but I've also kind of seen, like, when you look at, you know, I've been in this AI space for a while, but, like, the companies that 
um, taking the most advantage of the generative AI hype cycle, we're definitely the ones that were like there like a little bit early. We're working on like weird, like weird language stuff, which is like, like right before ChatGPT, like um, chatbots were definitely like a trail of sorrow. Um, coming from Alexa, like it didn't succeed the way, the way that we wanted to. Um, and at that point, it was like, shit, is it ever going to work? And so, uh, and like, because they were there, like when the moment came, they were like capitalized, like mid-journey did this, this lang chain did this. Like, I mean, that's like a very easy to grow, but like, I'm sure there was like a lot of days of like, man, this like little niche AI yeah, that we're working on, auto-regressive language models, and is this ever really going to take off? Um, am I doing this? Um, but yeah, um, the cool thing is not to like worry so much about competitors in the meantime, but I think that's the main difference. Like the existential question every day becomes more about stuff out of like stuff about the market than about competitors. Um, and like, you know, you think you see something on the horizon and now you write about that, like be honest with yourself about that. Um, but yeah, the, the dynamics feel pretty similar. You still have to build it for a couple of people and you still have to write about, like you still have to, um, kind of hope that like things work out your way in the long run and just like iterate closely with them. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest difference. Uh, it feels a little more out of your control. Does that matter if you're building something brand new? So it makes sense that if you're building in whatever, um, you know, language model and language models are not really that big right now, you're going to hit a ceiling at some point and maybe like, you know, you, you, you die off, like, you know, you get, you get some traction and then you die off, but there's the, the 10 people, the hundred people are, they were still there, right? Like you could still, and I guess my question is like, you know, can anyone really predict the, the future? So yeah. I'm really not convinced. So, you know, bet like trying, yeah, you can go where the puck is skating. But if you're building something brand new, I wonder if it's really that different, you know, on depending on where in the hype cycle you are for a given technology, or if you really should be thinking about it very differently, because all that yeah. macro stuff is so out of your control. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, I think like you're actually saying like with how it operation do it, like I wouldn't worry about the market and all that. Um, I think I think you're right. Like, I think there's probably a small difference, in, but I do think for the most part, it's like you build for a group, you hope they really like it, and then you kind of like some other things but the first couple of steps look exactly the same like you have to just build something people like there's no way to get around just building a great product for a couple of people um yeah and i think it's the steps after that look different depending on if you're in the frontier or if you're in like a hot market um but i think if you're like in like this build drop and you're doing four weeks of building um you can't really do more than support a couple of people anyway and so that's what you should be in for so yeah i guess i agree uh the, the early steps to me feel very similar. Um, you'll just have different, I think the only difference the distractions uh, is kind of like how I think about it. Um, instead of people constantly, constantly asking you about like, man, like is this ever going to take off? But like either way, you kind of have to ignore that. Like I was going to say it last time, I, was like, I would just ignore the people who are like, this is the same, like for us, like this is the end of the robo flows. Um, yeah. I, I would, um, on the frontier thing, so let, let's separate AI and crypto because I think those are kind of the two frontiers we're talking about. I, I don't know if you guys have any like synth bio people, but for the most yeah. part, I think generally when we're yeah. talking software, it's like AI and crypto. So let's put AI to the side for a second. Crypto, um, it's interesting because I, I tried to give people this advice uh, in late 21 and then definitely in 22 when things were cooling off is the natural inclination for people is uh Getting users or customers is really hard. If you're in a boom market, it's like, I'm going to sell picks and shovel. So I'm going to sell the, the technology stack that the other people who are going to go get the end users, whether that's, again, uh, a consumer app or, or another like B2B, but like, I'm going to provide this layer and then 
then we're going to have all these other startups, right? It's the Stripe model of like, we'll provide payments to every YC company and then we can become really successful. The bet you're fundamentally making there is that the number of new companies going into that space, in this case, crypto, is is always going to be increasing. And in a market that like crypto, where you have these kind of brutal w- winters, bear markets, um, once that changes, like your your growth, you're now fighting over a fixed pie. If anything, it's a reducing pie of companies. And so it, it's counterintuitive in some ways, but the reality is it's actually much easier to build with the end user in mind, solving a problem for whether it's a business or a consumer and not actually worrying about are other people going to quit their jobs and go start a company in, in the space? And I think that a lot of people, what's they avoid the hard thing, right? And But the reality is they're actually making it harder on themselves because they're making a bet on it, like effectively a derivative of, of the space. And so I think that is the, the thing about frontier technologies is there's a natural inclination that everyone wants to do picks and shovels. And like, Great example. People think Coinbase, it was always crazy to me. They think Coinbase is a picks and shovels business. Coinbase is not a picks and shovels business. Coinbase is, a, at this point, 100 million KYC consumer. Coinbase is a consumer business that then like was able to use that growing consumer base to, to launch a bunch of other products and services based on the brand. And so I, I think it is a, it's like the worst possible strategy is to try to target the, that kind of like uh, infrastructure in the frontier uh, category. I think the same thing with AI, and I'm a little less close to it, but I look at it as in that you have all these people who kind of want to go and, and be some layer. But the reality is, is if you can't find the people who actually fundamentally have that problem, and your bet is that other people are going to come into the space and have this problem, that you, you, you're spending a lot of time waiting around for other people to to do the the kind of company founding. So my biggest recommendation is, especially if you're early stage, is Start trying to actually solve a, an end user problem, whether that is a consumer or a business. And if you so happen to actually nail one or then have another one that you can solve, then you're kind of backing your way into being an infrastructure company that that can serve a, a variety of different things. But it's like, basically, don't don't take the answer. It's like, oh, we're, we're thinking about this as a horizontal or a picks and shovels thing. And like, we're, we're so smart. The reality is, is like the only thing that matters is actually getting people to use your product in the early days, and whether that's a consumer or an enterprise business, you have to have contact with reality versus a, we built this amazing solution. Now we're going to sit back and wait for other people to have problems that they want to solve. And then they're going to choose us. Because also, by the way, you're going to have a bunch of other competition that is also trying to do that. And I think like one example of this, not to pick on people, is I watched a ton of ex-Coinbase people all try to get into basically more or less the indexing space in, in, in kind of blockchains because they felt that pain at Coinbase. They saw this opportunity of like, you have a proliferation of chains and all this other kind of stuff. And the reality is, is it's a brutally competitive market. And if the market is like kind of contracting a bit, and then you have like a big app player like Alchemy or Coinbase, that's like, great, well, during the bear market, we're going to launch some indexing services. You, you're, you're fighting over this like small thing versus maybe having, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't even come up with a business idea for you because it's like ultimately discovering what a problem is for a consumer or a business is that that's actually the hard thing. Jesse, you're smiling. I'm wondering what you think. No, I was just smiling because I saw all the same people do the same things. Interestingly enough, like, you know, even Coinbase, um, we launched an indexing product uh, a year ago uh, and then we actually shut it down in like three months and decided to build base instead because we realized, oh, this indexing product we don't actually have like a strategic right to win. 
it's commoditized, there's all this competition, but there's all these things that we do have a strategic reason to do base because base is, you know, brings together a bunch of things that we're really good at and enables us to kind of differentiate in some way. And I think that like one thing that is a meta theme here is like diagnosing what the problem is that you're solving or the like macro environment uh, moment that you're in and how you're going to capitalize on that so that you can then build something is like the really, really, really hard thing that I think most people like never even try and do. Um, and I, I think like when I look at Farcaster, this is um, like, seems so clear to me. It's like, Dan and team have diagnosed like, oh, there's this macro trend, which is that it's now possible to build networks in a new decentralized way. And if they can combine that macro trend with an incredible consumer product, which they can like iterate on really, really quickly, then there's a massive, massive opportunity. And those two things both needed to be true, the, the macro trend and the ability to build the consumer product in order for them to be successful. But I think people like, they, they, they either do one of those things, they like do the macro trend, but then they don't do the like, what's the actual product that fits into that trend, or they just try and build a product, but they're not actually thinking strategically about like, what's the diagnosis of what's going on in the world that's going to enable this product to be 10x, 100x, you know, better than whatever it is today. Um, so yeah, I think like, do, doing that work is, is super, super important. One, one thing I would add, um, Mark Andreessen has a blog that doesn't exist anymore, but it's been archived. So if you Google, the only thing that matters is Mark Andreessen. Um, I think it's his single best blog post. And it's something I think about all the time when I'm doing angel investing or whatever is a basic framework of product team market. And surprise, the only thing that matters is actually market. But that doesn't mean like, oh, well, I'm building in crypto. Why am I not successful? It's you, you have to, to Jesse's point, market is not like this like broad thing that everyone gets a tailwind from it's it's you have to understand the market opportunity for what you were specifically building and it's a combination of the product you're putting in the market and solving that particular pain point at the right time and that work i think a lot of founders um it's hard so what when people have hard things they don't want to do them and it's like that actually would save you a ton of time from doing a startup that actually ends up being 18 months or two years of your time that it's like, ah, it didn't work out. It's like, you're never going to be able to nail it right. But like, you should have a strong set of beliefs in the world of why you think this is the right time to solve this particular problem. And, and really, really spend time thinking about that. Because I actually think if, if you do, sometimes it actually what you were originally solving, you might dial a little bit the right way. And that's actually the right trajectory that you you want to be. Oh, ahead, yeah, Jason. one. Well, uh, as you can say, a my computer's about to die, so I'm gonna switch to mobile. Joey, if my yes, computer when, when I drop off, just approve my other one, and I'll be back in. Um, B another resource. I I agree with Dan. I love that post by Mark Andreessen. Another book, and this is a little bit longer, uh, is called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. Um, and this has probably been the single most impactful book I've read in my entire career because it actually gave me a framework for thinking about what Dan's actually like talking about, which is like how do you diagnose what is going on right now? And then how do you think strategically about where you need to be positioning and building in order to capitalize on it? And I think most people, they, they like hear the conversations like this and then they're like, oh, I'm gonna go through this. And then they get stuck because they don't have like guideposts of like, how do I do this kind of thinking? And I've found that good strategy, bad strategy, it kind of just lays out like a very, very, very crisp framework like, here's how you can do this kind of thinking. And now there's tons of ways of doing that thinking. But this is like one very, very simple one that I found to be pretty effective.
Yeah, both both great recommendations. I think there's a lot of gold. I mean, I want to move to questions, but just there's a lot of gold in, in what we just went through. So I want to play it back at you and just see if if this kind of makes sense. It's, it sounds like I would say we're broadly in agreement that the process of building something new doesn't necessarily, especially like brand new, doesn't really change depending on whether what you know what vertical you're in whether it's hot or not like you know it's find the 10 people get them to use it etc um, but it does you know really matter that you are like i mean first of all you know solving a problem for an end user is, is a pretty good bet like i think dan you were saying especially like building a picks and shovels in a let's say a vertical that is especially you know, like contracting is going to be really difficult because you're you're essentially betting on like a derivative of of that vertical so i guess my last just first of all did i get that right and second of all, does it, do you think it then makes sense? You know, should people be bet, be betting on on which like verticals are going to be expanding and contracting? Is that part of good strategy, bad strategy? To say like, hey, you know what? I mean, just taking as an example, let's say that uh, AI is hot right now, but we actually think it's going to be crazy hot. It's going to go 100x where it is right now. There, therefore, like maybe like this kind of building at that layer is is actually going to be somewhat successful. So if there's a thousand more products, you know, next week than there are, or, or two, you know, t- 10 months from now than now, then yeah, a lot of the indexer type products maybe work out because they get to, you know, find pivot to some niche of whatever, you know, companies and, yeah. and kind of not as competitive. I would say that the, the, the framing that you just said of AI is hot right now and it's going to keep getting hotter and therefore we should build it. That's bad strategy because you're basically, <laughs> now we don't know why. So Jesse will be back. Oh, no, let me. Let me... Yeah. Oh, Jesse's back. All right. Why, why is it a bad strategy, Jesse? It, it's it's a bad strategy because you're just looking at the market and you're not diagnosing what's the opportunity inside of that fast growing market. And so, for instance, if you build at the wrong part of that fast growing market, like Dan's talking about, like you're just building picks and shovels and you're in a massively competitive domain and you're not actually able to differentiate there because you don't have any leverage, like you're going to fail. And so you can't just be like, oh, this market's going fast, therefore it's a good place to build. You have to be like, oh, this market's going fast and there's this challenge within the market and I have this amount of leverage because of where I sit or because of an insight that I have that enables me to capitalize on that growth. And I think unless you like think about all of those components, you're going to come out with a like, bad intuition that's not going to help you actually be successful. Dan, what's your take? Yeah, so I, I plus one. And I think that the way to think about it is AI is hot right now. I should be building in it. Okay, fine. Great. I agree with you. So what is the problem you are solving? Because you start with the problem. That is to, to another great book here, by the way, that worth reading. And you can read the online notes, which I actually think in some ways is, is more succinct, is zero to one. So Peter Thiel has this concept. And, and there's a lot of stuff in that book. But, but and, and people talk about being contrarian. But the secret is actually the that is the it's like what do you believe about the world or what do you understand about the world that is basically the only person and and you basically get to have a monopoly on that idea for for some amount of time and that is the hard thing so yes ai is really hot like build build an ai fine or build in crypto but what is the 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 actual unique insight that you have and again that's hard and and it's not just guaranteed and it's not sitting on the ground like you have to do a lot of work that's talking to customers that's spending time with users it's you know developing a a sense for all of the products in the space and and really having a point of view that it's like this is the one thing that's missing and even then you're not guaranteed to get right but that is that is the kind of like you take the the kind of like teal level secret mixed with the right market and timing 
from Mark Andreessen, and that that's the special thing, right? Um, and and so I think like market selection, it's like okay, if if the Economist is writing about this market is hot, you're probably that's not a unique insight. So like let's work, let's do a little bit more work to figure out something that you uniquely believe, right? And so here here's a good example. One of the reasons you have so many people start like kind of companies, especially enterprise companies coming out of other big companies is they viscerally feel the problem and especially during scaling that they've gone and interviewed all the other existing products in the market, potentially solved their problem because they were feeling it and there was nothing good. So there's a company that came out of Uber that helps you do payments. And you just think about how many payments Uber is handling and you know failed credit card payments and you got to pay all these people and stuff. The company's called Temporal. And, and like it's, it's not the details of the company don't matter, but this is a group of people that are like, we've done this at basically the biggest scale real time. And we know that none of the SaaS tools in the market actually can solve the problem for Uber. So we had to build an internal tool, which you can think about how gnarly that tool is, and no one wants to work on that tool. So now we're going to take this and we're going to think about all the other companies that are potentially dealing with this kind of a problem. And then we actually want to go sell to and so that's, I think, why you get so many of these enterprise companies coming out of other big companies that don't necessarily have the exact same model. It's just, it was like a pain point internally. So you have a bunch of people who have tried to do this coming out of Coinbase. Like they see how messy the compliance process is. They see how messy some of the, the custody operations are. And so then they're like, great, well, if it was hard for Coinbase, this is hard for everybody else in the space. And so that's like a, a, a very uh, tactical way. And obviously you guys are building now, so it's not like you're going to go get a job and understand that. But that's the level of problem qualification that tends to work really well, especially in a consumer. That's a completely different game because you're, you're basically trying to like discover an untapped behavior and like getting that out of a consumer is, is the only way you do it is you contact with reality. So I think those are those are like the two mental models that like I have in terms of like, how do you actually find that right problem to go with? All right, I know we could keep going on this. was great. But let's let's try to bring a couple of questions in before we wrap up here. Money, I think everyone, I mean, there's you know lots of ways to think about this one. How important is it to make money early on? Uh, there's probably like some, some nuance to that answer if anyone wants to take it. Yeah, I mean, the way I would see money is like it's validation that people actually want your product. It's the only real way to validate that people want your product. Um, so like, you know, like in, it's kind of independent of profitability. Uh, but you know, I think the cool thing about, about profitability is that like you get to be your own master at that point. So I guess my hot take is I would look for, uh, like you just have to charge your, your, your I, I would always lean over to charging. Uh, it's the only way to measure actual retention as far as investors. Um, yeah, I think it, it always almost makes sense to push that off after you have a passionate group of users. Um, I think like one of the most common failure modes I've seen from my founder friends to start out is that they meet somebody in their journey who's like, oh man, like my friend raised like 5 million off a of pitch deck. And that does happen. Like it happens enough where like it's an info hazard, like it's, it's real. Um, but, you know, I just think like, then you end up spending, you know, a couple of months trying to do that. Then you don't have progress on the product, um, chasing an exception. And everything gets easier when you have, you know, customers that clearly want what you're building. So I think of it as it's a, it's a chart, right? And one axis is you have amount of revenue you're generating and the other axis is growth, okay? You don't want a maximum revenue one because basically at that point, you don't need any money. You've already built the business. Like the, the investor is not gonna like, you, there's no need for it. Same thing is it's like you have maximum growth, but like no money. 
um, that that's not useful. And so there, there's some kind of trade-off and it's not, again, it's a little bit more art than science that if you don't have a lot of money coming in or you don't think that you can make the money right now, you need to have amazing growth numbers in order to, to kind of go raise. And then vice versa, if you actually have great unit economics, but your growth isn't there, that is a potential reason to raise money and, and figure out how to like actually increase growth, especially if it's enterprises, you're hiring salespeople, there's some amount of upfront cost that ultimately can you can generate. Um, Here's something you said, Rick, is actually, I think it's a, it's a very, um, you should have an intellectually honest answer for yourself. When people say, oh, my friend raised money and, and they think about the terms that the friend raised and all this kind of stuff, that is like the most destructive thing you could possibly be thinking of because, hey, your friend raised it probably, I mean, by definition, raised at a different time than you for a different product. And it's, it's not fungible, right? So it's like world is very unfair and it's both on the time and who is raising. Arcaster, we didn't we didn't have a pitch deck, and I raised a very big round. But that's because I spent five years at Coinbase, and I knew all these VCs, and I spent a year and a half bootstrapping Arcaster. Very different environment. So, what you should be focused on is not about how much you raise or who who you know who raised at what terms. It and be far more focused on is what is the single existential problem for what I'm working on, and that's usually some amount of growth, whether that's revenue or users, and like that's the only thing you should be focused on. And if, if money, raising money is actually the, the limiting factor and that you need to hire more people to, to solve for that, one, I would actually question that and be, how could you do it without raising money? And really, really try to be intellectually honest about that. And then the second thing is that if, if it really is, it's like, no, I need two more people and that's actually the thing that's preventing it, then it's like, okay, great. So it's like, how can I cobble together that money so that I can unlock the, the growth back to the core metric? And I think people... People basically think fundraising is success and it's not. It's it's actually, it's like a mortgage. You you have to pay that money back at a multiple later. And so I always encourage entrepreneurs is the scrappier you can be and easy to say, right? Everyone has different circumstances, but taking money is only extending the amount of work that you actually have to end up going to do. So focusing on actually, it's like, what is the core thing that I am solving? And can I actually build that engine of growth even at a small scale is is far more, uh, important. And then if you are actually good at doing that, whether it's, again, some amount of growth or some amount of money, you you won't have a hard time, I think, raising from investors. But I think what end up people doing is they, they say, oh, I had a really hard time fundraising. And it's like, yeah, it's probably because you didn't actually have some amount of growth in terms of users. Yeah. Well, good, good words. And I know that we're, we're at time here and everyone has, you know, a busy schedule. So I want to keep us, keep us honest, speaking of intellectual honesty to the end, end on time. So there are a lot of great more questions in the chat. Um, you know, send them to us. We'll, we'll try to, you know, get answers to them or, or just follow these guys, you know, online. They are constantly sharing more, you know, words of wisdom like the ones we've heard. So um, thanks to everyone for, for joining. Thanks to you guys who are tuning in, you know, watching the recording after the fact. And um, thanks to Dan, uh, Jesse and Rick is really awesome. And, and we'll be back here next week uh, for some more great talks. So. Thanks, everyone.